Several weeks ago, um, the uh, team that do our publicity, of which I, I don't have any part, thankfully, uh, they uh, came up, they said, we want to do this theme around the king is crowned for Easter. Is that okay? And I said, yeah, that, that's fine. That's absolutely great. I'll, I'll fit in with that. And then I've been going through John's gospel since the beginning of time, and uh, I thought I'll finish it by Easter, but I haven't finished it. I'm going to do a few more weeks. But then the passage that I realized was going to be this today was about Jesus being king. So it seemed that's great. I'll, that feels brilliant. We'll, we'll talk about Jesus being king on Easter Sunday. And then as I uh, try to look at it through the last fortnight, I have got more and more um, uh, intrigued by the word king. I thought I knew what king meant. And I guess we've all got uh, an understanding of what we mean by the word king. And if we were to say Jesus is king, I think most of us will be say, yeah, I know what that means. And then if I was to ask you, yeah, but what does it mean? You might come up with a lot of different answers. And I may add to your confusion this morning, or I may help it. Who knows? We'll see how we get on. What words do we associate with the word king? Now, at the risk of offending some of us, it seems to me that we might have different words now that we have a king. And that's kind of changed things. Because for most of my Christian life, it was quite easy. Uh, Jesus is king, and the queen is the queen. That's okay. I can, I can deal with that. But now it's all got muddled. And bless him. What might we, words might we use, or maybe not us, maybe folks who, who don't have a faith, who are trying to understand Christianity, what words might they use? Kindly? Privileged? Remote? Polite? Distant? Thoughtful. Now, you may strongly disagree with those words. The idea is just to get you thinking what intuitively in our gut does the word king mean? And what might it mean for those around us? In three or four weeks, whatever it is, four weeks, five weeks, whatever it is, uh, our king will be crowned. Today we're thinking about Jesus as king crowned. But the more I thought about it, the more I looked into, well, what did they mean by the word king? And there's a conversation between Jesus, the religious leaders, and Pilate around the word kingship. And that's what I'm going to tap into. And it seems to me that they might have had a much different idea of the word king. And they might link it far more to how we would see today the word president, which may be a negative thing, <laughs> or maybe a positive thing. What words would you associate with the word president? Because the kings are... are, are 
in the time of Jesus, or prior to Jesus, was certainly more like what we would call presidents. Powerful. Merciless. These are all possibilities. Oppressive. Fearful. Ego-driven. Self-serving. Manipulator of truth. For some, at the beginning of the New Testament, these are the words that might have been felt alongside the word king. A fearful, or emperor, a fearful and powerful person. Now, we talk about the intended meaning of Scripture. In other words, what did the Bible mean by the word king, not do what we mean by it? And undoubtedly, one of the core principles is the word authority. The king is the person who has ultimate authority, makes the big decisions, and has the right to make the decisions, to enforce laws, even to create laws. It's all about authority. But also, in the time of Jesus, there were different concepts of the word king. So for the people of God, there was a Messiah king that was being looked forward to. But for the Romans, and for those who didn't share the faith of the people of God, there was an emperor king. And those are different ideas, but they're more akin to the president than they are to our ideas of king today. So the Messiah King was powerful. The Messiah King was righteous. The Messiah King was going to come and rescue. And he powerfully was going to punish all that was wrong and sinful in the world. He was going to deal with people who have not kept his laws. He was going to remove them. And therefore he was fearful. He was coming with power, with a sword. And this Messiah King would show no mercy to the people who have disobeyed him and the people who have not kept his laws. And for the people of God, that meant two big groups of people, the Romans and specifically their representatives, the tax collectors, and also anyone who hadn't kept the rules and the laws of the Old Testament. And they would reward the people who faithfully kept all the commands. So when they were talking about king, that's what they were looking for. They were looking for this powerful figure who with force and violence is going to throw out the overthrowers. The emperor king, the people, what they're experiencing from Rome and elsewhere was someone who was powerful, who was distant, who was fearful, who was merciless, who was oppressive, who was ego-driven, who was a manipulator of truth. And it's in that context that we're going to look at this verse where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of the world. We're going to talk about a different kind of king. And I want to ask four quick questions before we come back and worship and take communion together. What kind of king is Jesus? How is Jesus' kingdom different? What is Jesus king of? And what does crowning Jesus look like? So, what kind of king is Jesus? We're going to look... Read through 
John's chapter uh, 18 and then into 19. It began a few months ago when we were there at the arrest of Jesus. And, and he says, uh, this is not to be time of violence. Put your sword away. And then he's taken to the chief priests who argue with him. And he gets his face slapped. And then they take him to meet Pilate. But they won't go inside because they want to avoid being uh, uh, contaminated. And all of that was what I looked at two or three weeks ago. And you can find these on our podcast, you can find these on our YouTube channel, and you can go back and look at it. We're going to pick it up then uh, as Pilate comes out and asks them, what charges are you bringing in against this man? So I know this is Easter Sunday, but we're going to spend quite a little bit of time on Good Friday so that we understand what kind of king Jesus is. If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. They don't have the authority because they're an occupied state. They have been taken over by the Romans. They don't have the authority to execute anyone. Their punishments that they can do are quite minor. They are bringing Jesus to Pilate because they want him to be executed. They want him to be punished for a serious crime. Uh, Pilate said, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. They took, this took place to fulfill what Jesus said about the kind of death he was going to die. In other words, the, 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 the form of execution for the people of God had been um, stoning. But the form of execution for Romans was crucifixion. And Jesus had talked about this uh, as, a, as the way he was going to be. He says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And John tells us that he said this to let them know the way he was going to die. So there's an element, as we looked at in our 8.30, that all of this is, is, pre, is pre-seen, it's, it's, it's predicted. Pilate went back inside and said, and, and Jesus asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Uh, they weren't worried about Jesus as king at this point. They, had, they weren't particularly worried about him. Pilate had been brought this guy, Jesus, but he didn't, he's not scared of him. He's, just, he's a bit of a preacher. Uh, so Jesus says, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? You see, the, the religious leaders want Jesus executed as claiming to be the king of the Jews. They want the Romans to think he's a threat to them and they want, him to, them, they want the pilot to think, this guy is trying to take power from your emperor. Jesus, is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? And, G, and Pilate says, am I a Jew? Uh, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. Why do you want to, to, kill, to be killed? And that's where Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. I am not a political threat to you. And there are so many things I have. I could preach for 10 hours on that verse because it's gone round and round. I've tried to edit it down. What does it mean? He is not a political leader. He is not a threat to the Roman state. That is deeply shocking. He was meant to be the Messiah. Why is he not a threat? He says, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now they are, their kingdom my, my kingdom is from another place. My kingdom is not a kingdom of violence. It is not a kingdom to be earned by f- power. 
So when American or Russian presidents talk about God being on their side and try to engage Christians in the church to back their form of state, and when people talk about God being with a nation, when people talk about uh, Britain being a Christian country, it's all alien to Jesus. His kingdom is not political. What kind of king is Jesus? He is loving, not violent. It's not enforced by the sword. It's not taken by the sword. So Pilate says, well, you are a king then. And Jesus said, you say that I'm king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate says, I don't get it. I don't get it. What is truth? Now, that's what I looked at uh, uh, two or three weeks ago. And we went into that statement, tried to look about that. With this, he went out again to the Jews and gathered there and said, I find no basis of charge for against him. In other words, I don't think he's an emperor. I don't think he's a threat to the Roman Empire. But is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of Passover? Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? You think he's king. I don't think he's king. Do you want me to release him to you? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. And Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. This is chapter 19. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. And they clothed him with a purple robe. And they said to him again and again, Hail, King of the Jews. And they slapped him in the face. Why are they doing that? Because they don't think he is the king. They're mocking him. And again, we looked at that in our call to prayer at 8.30, which you can find online now. What kind of king is he? This is the king who allows a crown of thorns. This is the king who allows this ridicule. This is a different kind of king. This is not a king of power and self-centeredness. This is a king who sacrifices himself, who takes all the hate and anger of others and doesn't turn it back in a bullying and aggressive nature. This isn't a king who imprisons his enemies. This isn't a king who incites violence. This is a king who is merciful and gentle. This is a different kind of leadership to the leadership we see in our world. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, look, I'm bringing him out to you, let you them find, let you, to let you know. I find no basis for a charge against him. And when Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to him, here is your man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. This is a king who allows people not to follow him, who gives a choice, who's not coercive, who is not a bully. This is a king who allows our children to reject our faith and we carry on loving without excluding or rejecting family members. This is a king that allows people to say, no, not for me. 
Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. And the people insisted, we have a law. According to the Lord, he must die because he, ah, here we go, because he claimed to be the son of God. They're not really thinking of him as king. They want to have him crucified for blasphemy, but they can't sell blasphemy to the Romans, so they have to say he's the king. Here is someone who is claiming to be God on earth. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus. Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Notice here, and it's really struck me, that Pilate is afraid. He's got himself in a right big mess because they're very superstitious people. Here's this guy. Is he God? If he's God, he mustn't crucify him, but he doesn't understand it. And he wants Jesus to explain it all to him. And Jesus said, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And it struck me that Jesus is saying to Pilate, it's all right. I know you're in a bind. I know you're going to have to make a decision you don't agree with. It's okay. This is a king who is trying to empathize and care compassionately for the person that's going to sign his death warrant. And he's saying, you're not really to blame. Firstly, God is allowing this to happen. Secondly, you didn't start this. Maybe, I did a sermon a few weeks ago about why uh, Judas isn't, quite as bad as we think he is. I'm not sure that Pilate is quite as bad as we think he is. Here's Jesus saying, it's not your fault, mate. And we may be in situations where we, whatever we do is the wrong thing because we're in a messy, broken world and Jesus might say to us, it's okay, I understand. We're in a broken place. This is a king who is understanding, compassionate to sinners who understands the failings and the difficulty that people are placed in. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the people kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who wants to be a king opposes Caesar. So they're trying to wind this up. We want you to crucify Jesus because we want you to think he's a threat to Caesar. And Pilate's going, he's not a threat to Caesar. He's scaring me, but he's not a threat. And for the first two, three hundred years of Christianity, it was never a threat to, to the Roman Empire through violence or political power, but through love. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat him down. The judge's seat is the place known as the stone pavement. It was a day of preparation for the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate answered, we have no king but Caesar. The chief priest answered, hmm. A little bit of uh, political toe licking. They didn't believe that. But they were scared and they wanted to fit in. What kind of king is Jesus? He's a king who can be rejected. 
They weren't struck dead. Lightning didn't hit them. What kind of king is Jesus? Yes, he's meant to be come to liberate. He comes to liberate us from the separation and the distance of God because he comes as Emmanuel, God with us. And he comes to break down the barrier that our sin and our guilt and our shame has created. He comes to set us free from the agony of low self-esteem, of feeling unworthy, ungood enough, and feeling distant and removed from God. He comes to set us free from death and destruction. He rises to set us free. He is a liberator who sets us free from self-centered purposelessness. So having looked at that very quickly, let's just pause over the other questions. How is Jesus' kingdom different to the empires of the world? Well, it's not imposed, it's offered. And any attempt by Christianity through the generations, through the decades, even now, to impose Christianity is not Christianity. It is not seeking economic growth, but simple contentment. The kingdom that God wants to bring is not about having more. It's about being content with what we have. And no political party in our uh, system dares offer that. Every politician is trying to tell us how we can have more. The kingdom of God is not about economic growth, but simple contentment. It's not a show of strength, but a display of mercy. It is not led by national interest, but love for all. It is not a place with borders, but open doors. In fact, it's not a place at all. It's a relationship. And so, who is Jesus king of? Well, firstly, he's king of hearts that choose him as king. He is king when we say, you're my king. You have authority over my life to direct and guide and to show me what to do. So when we talk about crowning Jesus, we are saying, Lord, you have my life. I make you king of my life. But the Bible hints at him being king of two other things, not just the hearts of those who choose him, but he is the king of life and death. He is the one who has destroyed death through the resurrection, through today's story. He is the one who chooses where people go, who has the destiny and the power to raise on the last day and anyone who believes in him. So he is the king of life and death. Therefore, there is a bit of an important consequence of choosing him in our hearts. And because he is the king of life and death, he is the king of a future kingdom where there will be no more brokenness, no more rebellion, and when we will live in harmony with him and he will be our God and we will be his people and he will wipe every tear from their eye and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Right now, he offers us the choice to be king of our hearts. And because he is king over life and death, there is a kingdom yet to come, not of this world, as Jesus says. It's not 
the same kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom to come. But when we invite Jesus to be king of our hearts, we bring that kingdom in. We give signs, we give glimpses, we bring his purposes. So what does crowning Jesus look like? It's a heart that's crowned Jesus as king. It's a heart that desires to bring the presence of Jesus. It says, Lord, here I am. I am your instrument. I am your person. I am your disciple. I am your messenger, ambassador, clay jar. I want you to direct me. I want you to have authority over what I do with my life. And fundamentally, I want to love as you loved. I want to follow the main command that you told us to love as you loved us. And to look for those who are lost, who've strayed far from God, who've strayed far from the purposes that God intended for them, who've messed up in so many ways their lives. And when we say, Lord, be king, we find him directing us and we say, scan the horizons and see the broken, see the lost, see the vulnerable, see the hurting, and bring my care. Transforming darkness to light, bringing new life. What does it mean for Jesus to be king? He's a different kind of king. He's not a political king. He's a king of the heart. A heart that says, Jesus, I'm for you. I want to do what you want me to do. Here is my life. And when we do that, we find the life that God intended for us. And it moves on into eternity. And we find the fulfillment in heaven where there are no more broken hearts and when there are no more lost. And we live in the harmony with one another that we were created to be, to have. I want us to uh, move into a little time of communion to help us reflect. And to do that, I'm going to show you a couple of prayers that are on the screen. And uh, in a moment or two, I'm going to ask Joel and the band to rejoin me. If you haven't got a, uh, a little, I've got a big one, but if you haven't got a little, little tray of communion stuff, uh, the guys at the back will, will just perhaps just wander down the aisle and if you raise a hand uh, they'll get you a little communion tray there's a prayer on the screen that acknowledges our gratitude and then there will be a second prayer and in this second prayer there is a part around the bread and when you've prayed that prayer you can quietly drink the, eat the bread and then Use the second prayer, and when you've prayed that, you drink the cup. Let me just read you this first prayer. I crown you as king. I confess I've not kept your commands. Specifically, I acknowledge. And there's a little gap. Now, what we're doing here is that part of communion is bringing a time of, of confession, of saying, Lord, I'm sorry. And if that's authentic and meaningful for you, then I want to invite you to engage with that, whether that's part of your church tradition or whether it's a step towards God. And if you think, I don't know what I need to say sorry for, 
And have a little look at the second prayer, because the second prayer is about a commitment to Jesus as king. And it may be that that gives you some hints of some things you want to confess with the bread. It says, I choose now to follow your ways. I will trust the power of forgiving. Maybe you want to acknowledge if there's unforgiveness. I will be a person of mercy and grace, and perhaps you want to confess the times when you have not been merciful or gracious. I commit to encourage not to pull down. Maybe you want to confess the way you've spoken of others or spoken to others. I will share and be generous. Maybe you want to confess the way you use your finances or your resources. I will welcome and befriend. Maybe you want to confess and acknowledge the times you have looked inwards rather than outwards. I will stand against injustice. Maybe you want to confess moments when you should have spoken up or acted differently. I trust your ways to bring life and drink this cup to renew my commitment to you, my king. So the first bit, the music going to be playing, you spend some time acknowledging, maybe the second prayer gives you some prompts. When you're ready, you receive the forgiveness that Jesus offers and eat the bread as a way of saying, Lord, thank you for your forgiveness. And then just go work your way through the second prayer. And if that's what you want to commit to, you want Jesus to be king of your life, you want to crown him in your life, then you drink the cup as a way of expressing that in a moment or two afterwards. During that, we're going to be listening to the song, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. No other kingdom, no other uh, way of being in relationship with God. There's nothing but Jesus. And this kingdom is a kingdom of weakness, of bloodshed. It's a kingdom of vulnerability. It's a kingdom of mercy. And so as Joel and the musicians take their places, I want to invite you to ponder this prayer that's there. Let me pray this over you. If you want to uh, echo any particular word, phrase, then, then quietly uh, use an amen in your heart. We come to crown a king. He's a king of brokenness. He's a king of sacrifice. He's a king who sheds his blood for us. He's a king who offers, doesn't coerce, and invites us to follow him. Thank you that you are a king worthy to be saved. A king of compassion, and gentleness, a king who seeks and saves, a king of grace and mercy, a king who transforms and redeems, a king of peace, a king who drives out the darkness,
A king of victory over death. A king who wipes every tear away. A king of new and eternal life. This is the life of Jesus given for you that you might be liberated. Amen.